Welcome to What the Fit, a podcast about what it means to be fit, whatever the fuck that means. Welcome to What the Fit. I'm your host, Chrissy Grody. We've got a solo intro for today, the monthly solo intro. So I'm going to run through our same intro questions like we do with every episode. Typically, I'll invite past guests back to join me. Today, you just get me. And then we're diving into a really personally interesting topic to me and one that I think that we can't spread the message enough. So diet culture, body image, um, just really important stuff that I think a lot of us deal with. So to kick it off, favorite workout. My favorite workout this week was a Y7 yoga class that I did in my living room with my good friend and past guest, Robin Cohen. This was my favorite because – so I accidentally didn't cancel my week, my free week to the Y7's online studio, which is an amazing offering if anyone's looking into it. So I got a month, and the month is $16, which is just hilarious to me because you pay $23 for a one-hour class, but they're going to give you a month of online programming for just 16. It's it's actually great. But it, I just love the Y7 format. It's so simple yet so genius to me. So really what they do is like they have three flows. Like in the beginning, right, you have a warm-up that's kind of typical depending on like what the postures are going to be that you get into. You're opening up those parts of your body. And then you go through three flows. And the first flow is fairly simple, just getting warmed up. Each of the three flows, you go through three times. So the first is long holds, like really getting into the the postures and opening up. This one is by far the hardest of the three, that first one when you're like holding these and it's like agonizingly slow. The second time you run through the flow, and it's always like a right side, left side, right? It's that's pretty standard. So the second time you flow through, it's breath to movement. And then the third, the instructor just like shuts up, you have the music and you flow on your own. So I love it because you can, you know, be thinking about what comes next. And I love that mind body connection, but they make it very clear. Don't, this isn't about memorizing. You can't get this wrong. Like flowing on your own truly is, is just about like, however it's going to make sense for you. Which I think is really great. And they give you a playlist because it's very music driven and you know a lot of hip hop focus, which I love. I miss the heat. I miss, you know, the dark room. But honestly, I mean I don't miss it that much because we don't have one in, in Cincinnati. So I wouldn't be going anyway. So this is it's been kind of a treat. Now that I'm talking about it, I wonder if I should just keep that membership. No, I don't need another membership. Because studios are opening now and I'm excited to get back. So this this airs June 1st. Several studios will have been open since the 26th. Um, and I have not gone to one yet. It, it's not a – it honestly hasn't been a decision, uh, you know, that I don't feel safe. I'm so excited to get back in. It's just kind of been around scheduling. You know, I, I'm honestly have gotten so used to my routine now and I love the flexibility I have to throw in workouts any time of the day that I have a break that I just, you know, it it felt a little overwhelming to me to think about scheduling. So that's just, that's where I am right now. 
So yeah, uh, okay, to go through what we want to talk about, I ask questions to you guys via Instagram and you give me questions. So there's a there's been a lot today, which is which is great. I'm excited. Summer plans and COVID restrictions. So I think this is kind of asking like, you know, how are the COVID restrictions impacting my summer plans? And I would say that they have so far has some pretty significant sad impact. I missed a vacation to California. I was going to spend a week in LA visiting my pals, hanging out like I love to do there, and then driving from LA kind of down the coast, hitting Laguna Beach, doing some great hiking, and then had um, a super fun wedding. was going to have an amazingly fun wedding in Temecula and like wine country of San Diego. Like talking big mansion, vineyard mansion with all our friends, pool, hot tub, but that's not happening right now. So that's an impact. I missed a trip to Nashville to see Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle. That was pretty devastating. These are all things that are seemingly rescheduled for the second half of the year. I feel like our second half of the year, you guys, is just going to be like explosive and blown up if we're able to do everything because I really have no idea. So had those little setbacks, but you know, it's it's okay. We're settled. I'm settled in right now. Honestly, I feel good. I want to go on vacation. I want to go on vacation to like nowhere. I just want to get a house on a beach or like a body of water and just like hang out. I don't need to go to a restaurant. I don't need to go to a bar. I just need like a little bit of an escape. We'll see. Okay. So prediction on the future of fitness studios. <sighs> That's a good one. Um, so I, I think that we're there's going to have to be smaller class sizes. So maybe that will translate to a more intimate, personal experience, Um, you know, more attention from the instructor, which I think is always a good thing. Uh, I know a lot of us don't like to have an eye on us, but it it can only make you better. So I also just think like most of us are not going to care what it looks like as long as we can get back in there. You know, I've seen this week as studios have reopened and studios are are reposting people posting to their stories and everyone's just like so excited. Um, But I don't feel, you know, I don't think that you need that many people to feel the energy. Like a group of three or more can really create this environment of, of motivation and camaraderie. So I, you know, the the smaller classes, it's not a bad thing. Uh, Shorter classes, great. I'm totally cool with that. Like, let's cut them down to 45 minutes and let's make them more intense for a shorter amount of time. You know, we get rid of the notion that you need an hour to get a good workout. You know, this whole quarantine, I've been going to mention this almost every podcast, Sarah Jenkins hosts a workout at the mall, aka Ziegler Park on Saturdays. And the one that I did last week, 17 minute AMRAP. And I was gassed, exhausted after 17 minutes. So I, you know, I don't know. Do we need that full hour? But I'm, I'm thinking too. 
we had this culture before, at least I participated in this culture before, of bouncing around to a bunch of different studios, you know, using ClassPass. And I kind of see myself now really gravitating to just a few that are are like my people. You know, it's going to be about trust. It's going to be about you know, who you want to see in class versus like trying a new novel thing. I don't think that will be worth it as much to people at the moment, but we'll see. <laughs> this next one comes from my good friend, Jackie. She writes shit eclairs. So I'm going to tell you the story of shit eclairs. I think it's a good, it's a good relation a good relatable concept for this podcast. So we are the kind of people, my friend and I, who we don't want to lose. And we will do anything to not lose. So we said the analogy of like, if someone's, you know, going to make you eat an eclair full of shit, fuck yeah, give me the eclair full of shit. I will eat that shit eclair before I will lose. I think it's just this like deep down grit. Like you'll do anything not to do it. So that's where we are with that. There you go. Nice little story time for you. Okay. <laughs> Secrets of this hot bod. Okay. Well, thank you. But regardless of how my body looks right now, I actually feel the strongest I've felt in a long time and if i'm being very honest i think it's it's thanks to system of strength and their format those classes are so tough when i started doing their workouts in my living room i was whooped near tears i cannot do this and you know i was thinking oh it's just because you don't have the energy of the studio or you don't have the right weight, so, you know, all these excuses that I could think of. Um, but really, it's just very difficult. And they call it out too. They're like, this is hard. You shouldn't beat yourself up. But me being who I am, I, I, I beat myself up. They're still killer workouts, but it, it has, it has, they've definitely made me stronger. I know it. And, you know, I'm walking every chance I can get and doing lots of athletic yoga. The, their ebb and flow classes and their digital studio, really tough, lots of core. And so I do feel like my core is really strong right now. And that just translates everywhere. When it comes to food, so I mean, we know too, like so much of the way your body looks has to do with what you're putting in your body versus the output of exercise. So when it comes to food, I'm really I'm trying to eat as much protein as I can because even then, even when I'm conscious about eating enough protein, eating more protein, I still don't think I get enough. So I, I usually try to go by the rule to eat a gram of protein for every pound of body weight, and it's hard. It, I do find it difficult to do, but I'm trying to just lots of protein. Uh, I'm I'm really working on my digestion with Dr. Ashley Koff. And this is just reminding me I haven't taken my supplements yet. So she has me on some supplements, you know, crazy like probiotics, um, digestive enzymes, um, stuff that, you know, I talked about on previous episodes that my 
what I was, my hormones were just kind of out of whack and my digestion was off. And so this is just kind of going to get me in line, which I do. I'm feeling good. I feel a difference. I, you know, when you're, you feel good, it's like this rebound effect of like, well, I want to keep continuing to feel good. And how do I do that? And I feel best when I'm eating like a very satisfying meal of a protein some veggies that are seasoned really tasty and a carb like sweet potato or quinoa. Um, so I've just been kind of trying to focus, you know, lots of like big, big hearty salads. I just don't like being hungry is the worst. I just don't want to be hungry. Uh, what else? Mostly too, if we're talking about secrets of a hot bod, it's a lot of genetics that I have absolutely no control over. So I shouldn't get any credit. What do you do for work? I work in I, I'm I guess I don't know if I've actually full on talked about what I do. Maybe. So I work in talent acquisition, which is like corporate recruitment. So I lead and I manage two teams across North America and Latin America, so across 10 different countries. And they are responsible for hiring our executive and leadership talent across the company. So I work for a huge global company. We have like 230,000 employees around the world. We're the second largest in our industry. Uh, so yeah, I manage the team. I help drive process, system adoption and development, um, coach them. I know I've talked in the past about how stressed work has made me and have really come from this like burnout place. And I'm I'm happy to say that things are a lot better right now. And, you know, if I'm being honest, it's it's because of the reduction of volume uh, due to COVID-19 at the moment. You know, companies aren't doing a lot of, we're not doing a lot of hiring. But the, the break has really uh, given me space to say I'm not going to go back there. Just, I'm not. Like if there's if there's a need for me to continue to work 60 hours a week and I'm just gonna, there's, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. So it's been good. It's been a good break. Work is good right now. How has quarantine changed your clothing style? Where do you see it going from here? Well, I love this question because I think it has changed and I, I want to be even more ostentatious. If you remember, that's my word for 2020. I think I want to be so ostentatious is because I haven't been able to stunt in so long. And since it's now so infrequent that I get to go out, I really want to pull out like all the stops for every look. Like nothing is too much. I'm just inspired to be like so over the top with my dress, however I'm feeling. Then right before quarantine, I did an entire closet makeover with my friend Anthony we got rid of a lot of shit. We put together like a lot of quality looks. So I really do feel like I'm brimming with inspiration and that it's almost like I just have a lot of options, which is not a bad thing. Um, but no, I've, I've been into lately kind of mixing a sporty vibe, like a glam vibe. So for example, I wore Lululemon joggers with a vintage belt and like a strappy sandal and a one-shoulder bodysuit and you know it felt both comfortable but also like I'm going out. 
So it was good. I am also getting a lot of inspiration from Dorit on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I have not watched The Real Housewives, any of the franchises, since probably 2012. And, you know, in quarantine, I was just kind of like looking for something a little mindless. And so I pulled up Beverly Hills, haven't watched it in a long time. And there, I was just like, okay, I'm, I can put this on mute. Like, I don't need to hear what they're saying, but I need to see what they're wearing. Very into it. Okay, so June Jump Rope Challenge. Do you do on concrete? I have my rope ready. Good for you. I'm glad someone asked about this because I'm not going to do it this year, and here's why. I've done it. The, so the June Jump Rope Challenge for anyone joining new, um, every day for the month of June, I would jump rope for 10 minutes. 10 minutes straight, uh, you know, of course, you, if you have mess-ups, you just pick it back up again, whatever it – however however it can, you know, get through that – however you can get through that 10 minutes. So I did it the first year, and it took me to day 13 to make it through nonstop for the 10 minutes, no mess-ups. Then when I did it last year, 2019 – from the jump, <laughs> quite literally, it's from day one, I barely had any mess ups. I was going the straight 10 minutes. And, if, you know, to, in the beginning of the month, it, it certainly is a cardio challenge. It's definitely tough on your your calves and your shoulders. Um, but so like coming into this year, it, it really doesn't feel like a big challenge for me anymore because I've already done it twice. I highly recommend anyone that wants to give it a whirl. It is tough to every single day get out there and do anything for for 30 days in a row, 30, however many months June has, um, or however many days. So I, I do definitely encourage it. I just don't think I will be participating this year. It was also really tough for me to recover you know, I have really tight hips. Um, my feet were really bothering me. You know, Dr. Eric Nobby kind of explained it to me. Like when you're jumping rope, right, you don't want a wobbly lower body. You want it kind of, to kind of for it to be contained. And I felt it for months after trying to get my mobility back. So just not worth it for me in this moment. But please tag me. I want to see um, – tag the podcast. I, I would love to see who's going to get after it. Before restaurants opened up, what was your fave place to carry out? So I didn't really do a lot of takeout for – like during quarantine, I, I cooked a ton. I really kind of fell back in love with cooking and now it's this – a piece of self a self-care for me that I really look forward to. Uh, I did um, Goose and Elder a couple of times. They're in Finley Market, great burger – um, good like crinkle cut fries. Um, I was probably I've done Bakersfield a couple of times when they opened for carry out, but yeah, I didn't I didn't do much. My my favorite day of the week was really Saturday night where I would get like a big complex lengthy recipe and just start kind of early, like later afternoon 
get some wine, listen to oldie music with my quarantine team and just like cook and hang out and then eat and play Rummy. This is, those are like the moments. And I was very, luckily, I was very aware as it was happening that this is like not a forever thing. So I have this already, this really strong sense of nostalgia. Not that it can't happen again, but it will just never be that moment in time where we're really, there's really nowhere else to be. Now, you know, some of my quarantine team is back to work and other obligations and there are different places to go, which is great. This is all great. This is just me and my like little sensitive brain already feeling nostalgic for like a couple weeks ago. What is your favorite drink of the moment, alcoholic and non-alcoholic? Um, I would say uh, alcoholic first. I, I've really – I also feel like I'm on the precipice of it. It's about to change because the season's changing. But I was really on this this natural wine kick. I, I really like natural wines right now. And I go to Pleasantry for my natural wines. But there was this uh, red call by Amplify Wines. It's called Mixtape Red. I love it because it's like funky, easy drink drinking – like sparkling red. I don't want to say sparkling like there's bubbles, but there's just like some hint of it. It's great chilled, which I know it could sound weird because it's a red, but it's just light. Not a rosé. I'm bad at explaining this. We need Danny Souter to 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 help me out. It was very delicious. I highly highly recommend. I don't know if they still have it, but I, I will I will likely start, you know, getting in transitioning to rosé obviously. I had my first Aperol spritz this past weekend, Memorial Day weekend. That tasted divine. Just kind of getting into those those little sparkly light light numbers for non-alcoholic. Oh shit, I can't think so I tried this ginger beer, compliments of my boyfriend Brad, and I can't think of the name of it, but it's this ginger beer. It's so good. I think it's like Lane. Ugh. He's gonna kick me. Um, I don't I don't remember what it's called. I'll I'll think about it and I can post it later. But it's really I mean, they would be also be great if you wanted to make a Moscow mule, but it's just like spicy, but not too sweet. It's delicious. All right, we've arrived at the wild card. Would you rather bear crawl a mile or crab walk a mile? So I was just having this discussion and I was like, this is the next wild card because it was, oh, imagine both of them. Really, really imagine bear crawling or crab walking a mile. It would be so fucking hard. Like how long would it take you? Thir- 30 minutes? I don't know. I mean, if it were me, I'm going to pick a crab walk. And you'd have to switch. Like some you do feet first, some you would do hand first. It would have to be, you know, on grass or something soft. I just personally hate bear crawling. Maybe it's because your head is down. And I have really long legs and limbs, so it just feels like a. It's just so unnatural. I I think crab walking would. I don't want to do either. And I'm honestly, I'm so, I'm really happy I will never have to. But 
if you do it, you uh, this is it. This is it. All you crazy fuckers out there running Nippert all the time. I see you posting about it, just you know, silently flexing on all of us. I want. I'm gonna challenge you guys. Bear crawl or crab walk a mile, and you let me know how it is. You you guys would be the ones to do it. Okay, so that's it. That's all we've got. Um, really appreciate appreciate everyone listening. Uh, I think this is kind of a good time to call out. You know, appreciate you hanging in with the virtual recordings. I I know sometimes the quality has not you know been what we've typically been used to in the studio, but I appreciate you hanging on. Keep tagging your What the Fit walks. Um, I'm going to be doing something really fun coming up here with with future guests and and how we think about recording. That'll be exciting. We'll see how that goes. You'll you'll hear about it soon. Uh, support the Patreon if you're so inclined. Two dollars a month. Two dollars a month would make a huge difference if we had you know more people donating at two a month, I, it would just, it would make me really happy and appreciative and help just cover, you know, some of the costs of, of producing the podcast and share it, share the podcast with everyone that, you know, so that they can get the benefit that you get, which I don't know what that benefit would is, but you can also share with me what that benefit is. Oh, go also review on iTunes. Okay. I'm asking you guys to do so much right now. It's terrible. Thank you for listening. My guest today is a certified eating and body image coach with a mission to empower women who have struggled with eating, exercise, and body image to find peace in their bodies and play big in their lives. With education ranging from the ICF accredited Health Coach Institute to a Master of Arts from The Ohio State University, she's helping women to break free from diet culture and take back precious brain space. She's also a yoga instructor, an indoor cycling instructor, and a podcast host. Please welcome from Columbus, Ohio, Julie Olemacher. Hello, Julie. Hello. That's quite the introduction. Oh my gosh. Hi. I love it. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm super pumped to talk to you. So you and I met at the Beauty Boost Taste of the Beauty Boost, isn't that what it's called? <laughs> I think so, it's called? Yes, yeah. Yeah, the virtual event they had a couple weeks ago. We were both panelists, and I I told you during the panel, I'm like, the work that you're doing is so, so, so important. I feel like we can't get this message out enough or just just this this way of thinking and this like breaking up the the tragic, painful, necessary breakup with diet culture. Yeah. And how pervasive it is. And and I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, really hard to like to break up break up with because mm-hmm. it's just been ingrained in us our whole lives. So like any help we can get, any messaging, <laughs> any stories that we can hear, I'm like, please let me just like help push this out. Because I and we'll get into it when I hear your story and how you got started, but this kind of this way of thinking and just this this concept itself, I've been aware of now for like, maybe like a little over a year. Yeah. And I'm like, I've lived, you know, 30 years of my life, like with this whole separate way of thinking. And then this, and I was like, oh shit, there's another (laughs) one. (laughs) And I'm curious, 
when you first started to like learn about it, hear about, you know, intuitive eating in this other way of like yeah. diet culture, what was your reaction initially? Like, like, what was your response to it? How did it feel to you? When I first started really getting into it, and I have a, a really good friend who does similar work that you do. Um, her name's Caitlin Bolt Lovett. She runs an Instagram account called A Life Nourished. And when we first started talking and, and really kind of getting, because at first you hear intuitive eating, you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, I'm just gonna <laughs> what eat when I'm hungry, like eat what sounds good like that. It's like, you can't even like come from that place of intuitive eating until you've taken care of like all your own bullshit. <laughs> and so for me, it was just like, and it's something, I guess something that maybe I've known all along that's been like inside that where this comes from, this like need to control this need that I'm not good enough. Like all of those things I thought were super personal to me as ah, an individual yes. in my experience. Yes. Yes. And then to hear, and then you hear it. And then of course you can see, once you learn it, I, I like once I started thinking about this, it showed up everywhere. It showed up in the way my friends talked about themselves, the, like the, the social gatherings, the things I saw, like everything. You're like, oh, fuck, it's everywhere. Yeah. Like, no yeah. wonder I thought this. Right. That And that is it yeah. exactly. And that is the brilliance of diet culture is that we all grew up having the same issue, right? Or a similar issue, mm -hmm. struggling in our bodies, struggling with food, having this kind of battle, right? And then thinking that we're all alone in it. You know, I distinctly remember thinking, this is just my cross to bear. And I would look at people who seemingly, I thought had normal relationships with food and exercise in their bodies with just such envy, like, oh, Gosh, sure. wouldn't that be sure. cool to not have this constant mm -hmm. battle in my mind about, you know, how I look or what I'm eating or how many calories I'm burning, but it just felt completely impossible. And I always thought it was, it was my own struggle. And then of right. course, come to find, oh no, that's like, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's most of us. I've, I, I've said this before on this podcast. I personally have never met a woman that has not struggled with it my, personally. Yeah. Which, yeah. is, which is, which is, which is crazy to think about. But, you know, I just, I think too, when I think back on times that I really struggled with, and I say back on times, like this is a struggle that I live with currently that I'm, you know, open about too, that it, it's never about how your body looks. Right. <laughs> you know, it's never, yeah. it's never about what you're what you're eating while you're exercising mm -hmm. any of that like it's it's I've seen this quote before it's like okay that's a sign like the check engine light needs to come on of like when we start wanting to control like what's really going on dig a little deeper I just had a client session where we were talking about this exact thing where you know some old photos had popped up on her phone and this is about four or five years ago and she was significantly smaller you know and thinner than she is now and she goes Julie, I, I saw those photos and I realized, oh my God, I was so much smaller then. And guess what? I still didn't like my body. In fact, I was struggling way more then than I am now. You know, now she's in a bigger body, but is feeling that way, way more at home in her body and is doing the work, right? To heal that relationship. And she had this super, super big moment and aha of like, oh my God, it really isn't about the body. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It, it almost would be easier if it were, right? Oh, totally. 
you're like, okay, well then if I change this, then it's all better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you get started in this work, Julie? Yeah. So I'll try to make a long story uh, relatively short. <laughs> okay. We got some time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I had struggled with my body image starting young. I mean, age 11, 12 is when I first remember becoming really aware that there was a right and wrong way to have a body. And I often joke that I can distinctly remember like fifth grade Julie being like super confident and like what's up world and a big gap, my two front teeth. I like, no, I was just like, but I thought I was like the shit. For I, sure. I walked my chin up high, right? And then sixth grade happened and it was like, all of a sudden I started really digesting these messages of, you need to look this way in order to be pretty. You know, people are having opinions about your body. It better look a certain way that the most important thing about me was how I looked. And I started going to the gym that young, right? I mean, 11, 12 years old, the youngest that you were allowed to even go in like the rec center without your parents, you know, I was doing step aerobics classes. I mean, as a child, I mean, why no one waved a red flag? Like, excuse me, why is this 12-year-old in a step aerobics class right now? Is beyond me. But, you know, it was just, oh, Julie's into fitness or whatever. Meanwhile, I'm a kid. I'm, you know, dancing, you know, doing like jazz and different classes like that, right? I was a swimmer, a competitive swimmer. And so it's like, oh, I love that. Swimmer feel. I, I feel, though... A lot of swimmers struggle with yes with with this, and I mean, I guess I can understand, right? Like we're in a swimsuit, we're basically yeah. naked in front of other people, and we're also taught at a really young age to work really hard. Like it's a grueling sport where you have yeah. to be disciplined, and I think that can then lend itself to when we get into like exercise. Issues. Yes, absolutely, and you know. Yeah, it's a swim team, but you're competing against even people on your team and comparing yourself. And I can distinctly remember, and it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but it is, right? <laughs> if you were to like look back at photos of me from a, a kid after hearing this story, you'd be like, what the hell? Because I was a small, thin child. And so it really, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I was so dysmorphic. I mean, at such a young age. Oh, at such a young age. But I remember there being, you know, girls smaller than me and, and they were praised for being so small and so cute. And like, and so then I just thought, oh, I, my body's not okay. My body's big. That must be wrong. And I really internalized that. And meanwhile, I feel like every adult around me was on a diet, you know, and vocally hating on their bodies or saying they can't eat that. They have to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. And of course they didn't mean harm. They meant all the love in the world. They had no idea that, you know, I was paying attention to every single thing and then internalizing it to mean things about my own body. Um, So, you know, fast forward into college, I started teaching group fitness classes and, you know, the um, exercise addiction and this need to, you know, be healthy and lose weight just completely started to spiral out of control. 
really found my identity, you know, in being the girl at, they called it the Plex, where I went to school. So like being Plex girl, like teaching classes and like, you know, always there working out. Um, and I soon started binging and purging. And it was when my sister caught me purging at home at a family party Mm. I had my big wake up call of like, oh shit, this is now not just mine. Someone knows. And something about that made it really, really real to me and woke me up. And it was like, Julie, get your shit together. Like, this is not okay. Yeah. Like, you I can't do. pretend this is that, that this is about health anymore. Like you are throwing up. That is not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can totally relate, especially with the rec center in college. Mm -hmm. I was, I, you know, read your bio on your website and like you mentioned, noticing the repeat offenders, like noticing people that would just, I I mean, I was at the rec all the time. I would, Mm -hmm. I say that I said this before, I wish I could see how many group fitness classes I took while I was in college because I was there every day, multiple times a day. This was back when, you know, I thought that lifting a 15 pound weight was going to make me bulky so it's just straight cardio like couldn't get off the elliptical um yes but but also had had a similar situation too with um the binging and purging in college and I was at a party and like my friends kind of knew what was going on and I was almost at that point like relieved Mm. that I was like okay I'm glad they kind of just like know and found out and Mm -hmm. there was a part of me though that was like glorifying this behavior because this is around the time when like Paris Hilton Nicole Richie Lindsay Lohan were stick thin and like that was the culture we were consuming right there was no Instagram um no like Facebook was just people that we knew so that was the culture talking of like, you have to be this, this stick thin, you have to be seen like this. And that clearly they had problems with drugs, with alcohol, whatever. And so this, it was like this glorifying moment for me that I was like living in at the time, which is fucking sick, but that's where it was. Yeah. For me, it was this, this idea that I had to be this perfect girl right? In order to deserve love or success or admiration from my peers. And it's like, well, what did perfect mean? Well, nothing else mattered. I mean, I I worked for the good grades and the the, the whole shebang, right? Like I had to be this perfect girl, but none of that even mattered. You know, the grades, extracurriculars, whatever, the friends, if I didn't look a certain way, right? It was like having this certain body was the pinnacle Mm -hmm. of being seen as, you know, perfect. And so for me, I felt like the binging and purging was like the shameful secret, especially because people had really gotten to know me and see me in this light of Julie's like that healthy fit plex girl, right? And so I was so ashamed. Like it was like my fatal flaw. Mm. And, um, and so and no one even knew. I mean, no one knew. Even once I had like my wake up call, I didn't tell anybody until I met my husband, uh, like right after college, I met him. And I remember telling him about it. Yeah. And, like legit only he and my sister at that point 
really knew. I mean, no one else knew because I still was so ashamed. Yeah, no, there's, there is definitely the shame aspect. And I absolutely get what you're saying about this, this quest for perfection. I'm the same way I've said, like, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm like, in a 12 step program, like I'm trying real hard here, but it's fucking difficult. Yeah. Because, right, I've been rewarded all my life for getting good grades, for being likable, whatever, you know, whatever you can go on and on and on. But what you said reminded me of something, too, that was also, like, tied up in all this complexity with, you know, not feeling good enough, wanting to control something, you know, wanting to be seen as perfect, was this, like, back of the idea of, like, well, this is wellness, like this yes. is health. Right. I can't, I shouldn't be overweight. I should be exercising. I should be eating healthy. Like there was that mm-hmm. part where, like you mentioned people knowing you in this certain way that was like, well, yeah, I have to, like, this is what we should all be doing. Right. And isn't that again, the, the, not the, the beauty, the genius, the brilliance of diet culture is that it has taught us and disguised super, super, super unhealthy, disordered, completely disordered behaviors, even eating disorders as health and wellness, right? When it's anything but, it's anything but. Right. Yeah. It's so, it's so tricky. It can be so tricky. It can be really easy to hide behind. Oh, oh. So, so you hit your rock bottom, which was going to be one of my questions. Like, and that, that makes sense for, for your story. So what did you do from that place of like rock bottom? Yeah. So I, I wish I could sit here and be like, I went and saw a therapist and like did that, that work that way. But I didn't because I was, again, so ashamed that I was like, okay, I got to figure this out on my own. I just got to figure it out and, you know, do the work and just, you know, figure out why I hate my body so much and why I struggle with food so much. And so looking back, it's one of those things you look back on and you're like, okay, I don't know if you believe in God or universe, but I was like, all right, universe, like, damn. Because it was this perfect storm of the most of the most important things that all happened together. So I was sophomore in college. I'm studying communication. So really looking at how, you know, mass media impacts body image, um, looking all that stuff started to really just like pique my interest. So got really into the research. I was working with a health communication professor doing research with her. So I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I can see how these messages impact how we feel in our bodies and see the world and all these things. And so that was happening. Got really into yoga, which, you know, is very self-reflective and really started to practice intentionally from this place of wanting to love myself and wanting to love my body, even though it still felt far away. I started with this intention of like, I'm here to love. I'm not here to fix or to hate or to whatever, manipulate, change my body. I'm here to actively love my body and myself. On top of that, I then landed what was a a dream internship at a major women's health and fitness magazine in New York City. Mm. so wow. the photo intern okay so I make my way out there so I'm doing this study on communication how these you know messages impact us then I land this internship where it's like being thrown in my face right these headlines of blast belly fat you know with these six moves and these photos that are airbrushed like crazy to have this perfect you know bodies and whatnot And it just hit me. I was like, oh my God, this is why I am so messed up. It's because 
I've been digesting and internalizing these messages and what I now know is called the thin ideal that our culture has created since I was a little girl. Before I was even aware of it, I was internalizing these messages that you have to look this certain way in order to be worthy of love, success, confidence, happiness. I had attached all these things to a body size. Yeah. And I've been told I had to control the food I ate, eat this, not that. And, and all of these things were so distorted. And so, I mean, I had been on the, the, the track right, of, in, throughout college of wanting to work for a magazine. And I thought, oh, I want to work for a health and fitness magazine that aligns with my passions. And then I was like, oh, shit, like, I feel like they're causing my problems and mm-hmm. probably other girls' problems as well. I need to not do that. I want to be part of the solution. And so what I then did was the only thing I knew how to do, more school. <laughs> so I went to graduate school, which brought me to Ohio State because they had some really amazing um, health communication body image researchers And so I'm like, let's get real nerdy with this. Let's do the research. I want to really understand what's happening here. And all of this, of course, I'm doing this research. I'm figuring things out. And really, it was all self-serving. It was really all for me, right? It was all me trying to understand myself so that I could heal my relationship with my body. And oh my God, it worked, right? I mean, I really did the work. I really became super passionate about changing the dialogue around why we move our bodies. I intuitively, before I even found intuitive eating, which was like the missing piece for my mm. full blown like recovery from all of this, um, before I found it, I kind of came to a lot of it organically because it was very obvious to me, even in college, right? As I was working on my relationship with food and whatnot, I was like, you know what? For me to be healthy, I need to be able to go out with my girlfriends, eat a cheeseburger and french fries, and have that just be a totally fine, even enjoyable, wonderful experience. Like, no fasting, no making up for it the next day, no working out for five hours to earn the cheeseburger, no guilt, no stress, no worry, just like ordering the goddamn cheeseburger and enjoying it, and then moving on with my life. And so then when I did find intuitive eating and health at every size, it just felt like, oh my God, there is science and research and a whole system that is intuitive eating and principles that describe what I have been coming across kind of organically. And this whole framework that I was just like, oh my God, they're, they're telling my story. There was nothing wrong with me that I felt so crazy around food. That's exactly what restriction mindset and thinking, oh, this is good and bad. I shouldn't, shouldn't eat things. That's exactly what that mindset leads us to, to business, right? Yeah. And so it was just like my whole world changed dramatically when I I really got to that place. Yeah. Um, Can you talk, can you talk a little bit about like the science and the research? And I'm so... I'm so fascinated about your master's program. I was a communications major too. And so (laughs) uh, I was a a grad assistant for a mass communications class, you know, where we were talking about how the media shapes culture and um, my professor was gay. So there was always like a slight like slant towards how it shapes um, like LGBTQ community, which I loved. 
And so this is super interesting to me. And I think also for other people who may scroll through Instagram, see these messaging, messaging about intuitive eating and health at every size. And I can understand why some people would bulk at that. Oh, totally. So I would love to hear, you know, your experience studying it. And this is not just a, I'm posting an Instagram quote from another account. Like you've, you have the education, you've done the work. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So let's kind of just start with like, what is intuitive eating and what is health and what is health at every size? I think it's important to start there. Um, they are completely complementary, but they are two different things that go together, <laughs> like peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. So intuitive eating is an evidence-based framework that helps us to heal our relationship with food, body, exercise. So these 10 principles that help us to make peace with food so that eating becomes easy again, even pleasurable, to where movement becomes easy and pleasurable, to where we respect our bodies, and to where we develop this really, really beautiful trust that our bodies are brilliant because they are. And that we can actually go off of these supernatural um, instincts of our bodies, like when am I hungry and how hungry am I and what sounds satisfying and when am I full? And and it can be that easy, but it takes time to get back there because we've grown up in a culture that has told us that we can't trust our bodies that we have to have rules to control us. And we think we need control. We think, oh God, if I don't have control, I'm going to start eating and never stop. And I get that because that was me. Hi, binging purge, right? I couldn't stop eating if I let myself start down that path, especially with certain foods like chips or ice cream or whatever. But the truth is, is that we all have these brilliant bodies that can easily say, hey, I'm hungry, and tell us, hey, I'm full. And it can be that simple. But it takes really peeling back the layers to regain this trust, to even regain our hunger and fullness cues. Right. If you think, I feel think about it from like an evolutionary perspective, like we, it's a core to our very survival to know how to feed ourselves. Just like how like our bodies know when we need to sleep yeah. and how much sleep we're going to need, that our bodies know we've just maybe from the age of three years old completely turned off that sensory. Absolutely. And I think about it this way. I mean, especially as women, okay, our bodies create another human. We don't tell our body like, oh, first you develop this and then next these cells, like <laughs> our bodies just do it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but do you think our bodies can create human life without us telling it what to do, but that it can't tell us these simple, these simple survival things like, hey, I'm hungry, feed me. And hey, I'm full, that's good. I mean, come on, right? But of course we don't, because again, our culture has programmed us to think we need control. And then control leads us to rebel. And then it's this whole vicious cycle. And so really with intuitive eating, we're becoming the experts on us where we know what our bodies need. 
We know what food feels good. We know what movement feels good and how much and what intensity we need on different days or when we need rest, where we know that we have that trust and we really replace control with connection. Deep, deep, deep connection to not only our physical bodies, but our mental and emotional state as well. Because that is true health. Mm -hmm. When mentally, physically, emotionally, we are showing up for ourselves in this deeply connected way and taking care of our whole self. So that is how I would describe intuitive eating. And Health at Every Size is a research framework that at its core says, listen, all human beings deserve respect regardless of their health status. Like that is at the foundation. It's really about social justice. It's like, hey, you don't have to look a certain way or have a certain health status to deserve respect. And the research also goes into showing us how health is not a size, how due to set point weight theory, we all have a unique genetic code that has a different set point weight range. That's probably about a 15 pound range where you are at your healthiest and you feel your best. And I'm at my healthiest and feel my best. And Jane's at her healthiest and feels her best. And those can be very different. And we can really only be healthy when we're in what I would call that's like a homeostasis. Our bodies want to be at that homeostasis. If we're under that, well, then we're not going to be healthy, right? Um, And vice versa. And so it's like, but that can mean that you are meant to live in a very large body. And that can mean that you're meant to live in a small body or any body in between. But we cannot tell someone's health based on their size. Yeah. Um, It's also about saying, hey, here are health promoting behaviors, right? And, and, And so that's where it links up with intuitive eating. Um, that everyone deserves to do to take care of themselves. And through those, that's how we can find wellness. But it's not at all about weight loss because the studies in in Health of Every Size research, the studies show us, and actually these studies go back to 1959, I believe, with Dr. Albert Skunkard, that show us there is not a single healthy, sustainable way to intentionally lose weight and keep it off. That 98% of people regain the weight back and 60% regain more than they started with. And this has been proved over and over and over again over the last 70 years. Right. Even by the National Institutes of Health, even they have had a panel of researchers who, (laughs) again, prove this to be true. Yeah, I, what struck me was and i've seen i've seen this a couple different ways but basically it's like even if we were all eating exactly the same way and exercising exactly the same way we would all look different yes vastly different and that i like definitely could not understand in like young adolescent years because i would see my friends or i would see people on the swim team and i would watch what they're eating like sleepovers whatever and i would be like sometimes even like psychotically like match what they're eating to be like well if they're eating like why can't i look like that yeah yeah it's like because we're all different we're all, and, and when we and it's so funny like we've all been taught that we're supposed to all be thin and it's just not true and it's just not true but it takes a lot to actually 
understand that and, and digest that because we've been told that from every single person ever in our lives, including our doctors, right? And it's because diet culture wants us to think this so that we, you know, buy their products and spend our lives distracted and hungry and trying to be smaller, especially as women. This is not a coincidence. This is a very systematic uh, thing that has been designed to keep us distracted. Where, where, where does it come from? Or, and like, do you know, like, when did it start kind of seeping in? It was, is there a peak? Is there a height? Are we now, what's the history like? Um, it's super complex. And I, I can't even come on this and be like, I am an expert in the history. Um, I have just started diving into the history. The book Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison does an excellent job. Um, but we can see where, I mean, there's been times in history where, guess what? The more voluptuous, bigger body woman or person in general was seen as that was the picture of health and status and beauty, you know, and mm-hmm. then it started changing. Right. And I am reading a book right now. I just started it. So I wish I could give you all the good information from that book, but I can't, I just started it, but it's called, um, gosh, I have it out here. It's called, um, fearing the black body. And it's all about how, and we call this fat phobia, fearing fat. It's all about how fat phobia and diet culture has its original roots in racism. Wow. Like, let that sink in. Yeah. And so, I mean, diet culture goes back to to that. I mean, it really all boils back down to, to racism and to wanting to have this hierarchy of human. Mm. Oh, like, you're the best if you're a white man. If you're a thin white man, oh baby, right? That's where it's at. And so body size then began to really dictate, um, you know, your status in, in culture. And there, there was a time for sure in history, and Christy Harrison writes about this, where, you know, weight gain was always seen as a very normal thing, which it is. As we get older, we gain weight. And actually, you can look at so many studies that show us that this is super, super healthy. And as we get older, fat is very protective. And it's a really good thing. And so doctors, right, saw it, saw it as such. Like, oh, yeah, you're gaining weight because you're getting older. And that's just a normal thing. And then people started coming wanting weight loss. And I'm forgetting what the cultural thing was that led to that. Um, and doctors were furious. Like, what's happening? Why are people wanting this? It's not, it's not healthy. It's not, this is not good. And then kind of over time, it becomes this, well, give the people what, give the people what, what they want, right? And the people mm-hmm. wanted weight loss. And so then culture kind of shifted to that. Um, and that's just some cliff notes. And I, yeah. I could give you more, but you can also read other literature that really does show, you know, at times when women were gaining the right to vote or stepping up more in the workplace during World War II. These were systematically also the times that diet culture got stricter, that the image of a successful or beautiful woman got smaller. And that it's really not a coincidence because, you know, the world feared women gaining power. Yeah, yeah. So, boom, keep them hungry and distracted. There you go. Right. No, that's that's really interesting. I think you did a good job of bringing that to light. I am just, I just watched um, the Netflix show Hollywood. Have you seen it? I have not. 
Is it good? It's, it's so good. Right. Oh. It's so good. But, you know, just, and it takes place, I don't I think maybe in the 50s, 40s. I don't know. But, um, and this also, oh my gosh, what's the other? Oh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I am like, oh my God. But both, but both of those shows are right, taking place like back then and like the measurement of the yes. waist yes. and like how small could it be and that it truly was like so much of your, you said your worth, your status was like tied up into your body. Yes. And I think likely, I mean, this is, I'm just guessing, I'm just totally putting that, putting this out there, but that when, when women didn't have anything else. You know, like they weren't having careers or like, yes, they were house only have nothing else to put your time and energy into. It's like, okay, we'll just have them put it into their body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause that'll distract them from trying to do other things. Right. And at that time, the, the best thing a woman could do was land a husband. And then they're in a culture that tells them, well, this is what beauty is. It's the small body. So you better have that small body. Otherwise you're useless. And then let's back up because we were having this conversation. Let's put it in context now, because we also talked about how, well, actually we're all meant to come in different body shapes and sizes, just like different heights, different feet sizes, different boob sizes, different hand sizes. Okay. We also are supposed to carry different amounts of fat, just another quality of being a human. And so if this is the truth, which it is, because research shows us this over and over and over again, then if we're saying that smaller women or people are more attractive, are more successful, are whatever, all these wonderful things, then we're just systematically discriminating against like the majority of human beings. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, if we're saying, oh, but health, you have to be working out, eating these organic foods, then again, that's very like, it's, it's elitism, right? Because those of us that have the means, the money, the energy, the time to go to fitness classes or buy the Peloton or eat organic foods and make the smoothie. And all, I mean, that is a privilege, a privilege that we have to do those things. And right. so many people that that's just not accessible and not a reality of their life. And so it's, that's where Health at Every Size says, man, we got to really wake up and realize that every single human being deserves respect, deserves adequate health care, you know, and, and deserves love and all these things to simply from being human that you don't have to have health or eat organic foods or have the perfect workout routine to be deserving of a life in this world. Yeah, right. It goes back to, again, like it, it's not about being perfect. Yeah, I, I had someone recently on um, an episode, you know, eventually we'll we'll talk about the question, what does being fit mean to you? And he, it was a man, had probably my most favorite answer ever. He said, being fit to me is being exceedingly kind to myself. Oh. And I was like, if, if we all approached <laughs> working out food, like anything to do with what we think of wellness with the thought behind it. Am I being exceedingly kind to myself? I love that so much. I know. I know. It's pretty perfect. But <laughs> but anyway, so to, to kind of circle back to um, 
your your story and your journey. So how did you, when did you start becoming, you know, a coach? What does your, your coaching sessions look like? What does your work look like today? Yes. So after grad school, I um, ended up working in public health. So honestly, it was kind of, kind of a detour in my life. I had this passion. I was teaching cycle classes, yoga, I had a blog, shared my message that way, but um, didn't yet know how to really do what I had dreamed of, which is working as I do right now. Um, and so it was about 2016 that I started seeing coaches pop up on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. Oh, holy crap. Like, this is what I am meant to do. So in 2017, I got my first uh, coaching certification through Health Coach Institute. Uh, quit my job that year to coach full time. Um, got my intuitive eating counselor certification, went on and did a year-long master level coaching certification throughout the Health Coach Institute. And just, it really all started from there. And almost almost three years later, it's hard to believe, uh, here I am and it's evolved a lot. So I work with clients private and also in group coaching. I work with women across the country. So not just here in Columbus, but actually hardly, yeah, most of them aren't in Columbus. <laughs> They're everywhere. Um, and really taking them through not only the process of intuitive eating and helping them really heal this relationship with food, body, exercise, but I get to really bring into it because in graduate school, I really, I really focused on body image. And so I love getting to bring that piece into it. I marry it with the coaching that I've, I've been studying and learned over the years. Um, and it's just the most gratifying work. It's, it's so incredible to see women fully become themselves because that yeah. is what I see my work as. It is helping women to just fully become themselves because we don't realize we don't realize until we do. And then we're like, holy shit. But like, we don't realize when we're in diet culture and when we're in this struggle with our bodies and food and exercise that like more than half of our brain is distracted by trying to eat the perfect thing and trying to do this and trying to, and how am I looking and how, what's she thinking about my body and blah, 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 blah. And like, it's this constant record that's just replaying in our head. It takes up so much space. It's amazing. And I've experienced this in my own life, right? Having overcome it myself. Um, and then seeing my clients, what they go on to do. I mean, I've had clients go on and develop apps and write novels and create their dream jobs and get the promotion and go to the pool for like with ease and pleasure and joy. It's like, oh my God. I know. I know. And I feel like anyone that's listening, any woman that's listening, like you have to relate to this where I, I was so taken when I saw in your bio about you know, kind of regaining brain space, because that's truly one of the best gifts that we can give ourselves. Like, what else would you be thinking about? Yeah. What else can you be right? working on putting your energy towards like filling you up and thinking of then thinking about how many calories have I eaten? Are, yeah. are these jeans going to fit? Am I going to be able to wear them somewhere? Do I have the right bathing suit to cover my body enough so I can yeah. go out when it's 90 degrees and like be with my friends? Right. This weekend I had, I, I had a couple of friends over and we have a, a baby pool in the backyard and we were just like in the baby pool, like living our best lives. And it was so fun. I mean, it was hot. It was like 88 degrees. I mean, it was hot. 
And at dinner the next night, I'm sitting with my husband. I'm just like, oh my God, Alex, like even years into this journey of feeling, you know, at home in, in my body, it never, ever ceases to just, just hit me with so much gratitude when I have moments like this weekend where I look back and like, I was just having the best time and not at all worried about my cellulite and my jiggly thighs and my belly rolls as I sat there in my pool. And like literally not once that whole day did I think about how my body looked to others. Yeah. And I think busy living. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that sounds, and I, maybe to most people too, like, impossible maybe you know from where people are coming from that how can I not be thinking about that constantly especially in that type of situation Mm -hmm. so you know what do you say for someone that might be you know early on in the I mean wherever they are in their journey where they're thinking I I don't have that potential for freedom where I am now oh my god I would say I girl I get it because that because that was me that was me I have distinct memory standing in the plex at Boston College thinking this is just always going to be my cross to bear. It felt impossible. And I just, I remember being there. I remember hearing the word like moderation around food and exercise and being like, that sounds great. And I, I understood it logically, but it just felt like that's just not possible for me. I can't keep chips in the house. I can't, it just felt so out of reach. And I would say, if I can do it, you can do it. And I would say that this is not your fault that you weren't born with these beliefs about your body and all bodies. You weren't born with this, you know, messed up relationship to food. It has been systematically programmed into you from diet culture. And the really good news is that if it's been programmed into you, it can be deprogrammed. We can do the work to unlearn it. Our brains are malleable and we can rewire our brains in radical ways. And is it going to happen overnight? No. And do you have to like put the work in? Yes. But is it possible? Hell yeah. Yeah. When you talk about the work and you mentioned a couple of times that I wanted to circle back to it, what does the work look like for you personally? Mm, Yes. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I mean the inner work of getting really real with your thoughts, with what you are choosing to believe, with getting real with what you want to value, with with really grasping again the truth of our bodies, you know, and and then dedicating yourself to okay, who do I want to be? How do I want to feel in this world? And then every day we show up and when a thought pops in, because guess what? We're human beings living in diet culture. We're going to get triggered. I'm now a decade, almost a decade into doing the work and my journey to get to where I am. And of course I still have moments that I'm triggered. It happened recently, in fact. And it's having grace and being like, hey, yeah, you're a human living in a culture that still wants you to believe that you need to be thin to be successful, beautiful, lovable, worthy, whatever. And so having the grace in those moments, patching the thought and then saying, wait a minute, is that what I want to value? That only small, thin human beings are valuable? Or do I want to value that all human beings are valuable? That we all deserve love. And, And so it's the work of showing up every day 
And when a thought pops in our head, pausing and being like, hmm, do I want that thought? Does that align with me and my values? Or is that some diet culture bullshit that I want yeah. to say goodbye to? Yeah. Right? And it's, it's, it's really, I think, important to have help with this because this work is not easy. And you can do it on your own, but it'll take years. And it's hard. It's really hard. And many yeah. give up, right, when they try to try to do it on their own. And so that's where getting help is, I think, so, so, so key. Yeah, I would agree. I would. Agree. I, I think about one of the self-converse, the self-talk that I have with myself when I start to go down that path or I start to think, oh, you know, I, I, people will like me better. I'll, I'll be better in general if I'm thinner, if I have this type of body, if I look this certain way. I think about, because I've experienced loss in my life recently, when I die, are people going to remember that I had toned arms? When they're at my funeral or they're talking about and sharing stories are they going to say, are they going to talk about what I looked like, my physical body? Likely no. That's not going to be the thing that leaves an impact. Wow. And I don't want it to be. <laughs> so, Right. It's who do I want to be? And what impact do I want to have on this world? And how do I want to feel? And how do I want to make other people feel? And how do I want to be remembered by people who love me? I mean, that's called living a really meaningful life, right? And when we go from solely focusing on our outer shell and how we look, which was me for most of my life, right? So I get it, to then saying, no, no, it's how do I want to feel? And, and knowing that who I am is what matters, that my value, my worth is intrinsic from the day I was born, you know? it just allows us and opens us up to such a deeper, more meaningful life. And that's what I want for all women. That's what I want for all women and all people. Yeah. Yeah. I saw on your website, you have an Instagram overhaul guide, yeah. kind of creating a positive Instagram feed, which I think people should definitely check out. But if you could give kind of like a cliff notes version yeah. to get people to check it out further, how would you talk about it? So our it was so cool about this day and age and with, you know, Instagram, for instance, is that we get to curate our feed, you know, growing up. And again, I, I did the research in college, like in graduate school. It's like, I, this is true. This is true. <laughs> the images that we saw mattered. And so when we only saw Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie and Jennifer Aniston and American Ashley, and that was all that was praised in magazines on TV shows and movies. Of course we thought, oh, that's normal, that's pretty, that's what I have to look like. My body is wrong because look at, that's what I'm supposed to look like. Well, guess what? Now we have social media and we get to be the curator and the gatekeeper of who we follow. And it really matters to create a feed that supports a diverse view of people, humans, body types and sizes so that we can then see, oh yeah, look at, we're all different. We're all come in different bodies and have such different features. And that's normal. Diversity is normal. It wouldn't be normal for us all to look this That would be really, really weird. Right? <laughs> so curating a feed that shows you is really helpful to your psyche, but then also, you know, getting rid of accounts that trigger you 
or that cell weight loss or cell fat phobic narrative, you know? And, and so you can create a really empowering, super helpful Instagram feed with following the right intuitive eating or health at every size or body positive people. And I, I also created that guide because there's, you know, a lot of people who are using intuitive eating in the wrong way saying, Oh, eat intuitively to lose weight. Those two things just don't go together. You can't be trying to manipulate and control your body with intuitive eating. It just, that's the complete opposite of what intuitive eating is. Right. And so I also created this so that you, you knew, okay, these are actual good people who really get, get it. Right. And who have positive intentions. Oh, nice. So you give suggestions too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I have 30 handles of people I love to follow that, you know, will fill your feed with all this good stuff because that's so helpful when you're trying to retrain your brain. I tell all my clients this, I'm like, listen, I want you guys to curate your feeds. I want you to start listening to podcasts that share this message to read books to, you know, I mean, because the more we surround ourselves with this, the easier it becomes. I kind of call it like my, my intuitive eating bubble. And I'll joke with my other intuitive eating, you know, friends in this field or my clients. It's like, I sometimes forget about how (laughs) staunch diet culture can be because I have just rid it from my little bubble. And you can do that now with pops in here and there because, again, I'm living in the real world. But you can, for the most part, do a really good job at creating a pretty badass, you know, empowering bubble for yourself. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think too, it, I mean, at least for me, right? Like I love to follow fashion stuff or just a beautiful curated image and styling and lifestyle things. And to, to be on the hunt, like there are quote unquote normal sized people, people in a bigger body doing really cool stuff in that space too. Like it doesn't have to just be a, a thin woman. Yeah. I need to do a better job of sharing people I found actually now that I'm thinking about it. That'll be be some homework to do for me. I love it. (laughs) Talk to us about your podcast. Ah, Babes Mint Podcast. Yeah. So I am the co-host of the Babes Mint with my wonderful friend who's a body positive photographer, Steph Streb. Highly recommend you guys go give her a follow. Um, She's just incredible. She does these goddess sessions here in Columbus that just really empower women to feel at home in their bodies and celebrate the skin that they're in. She's amazing. And so last year we had started doing um, in-person events, just these small, intimate, like 30 people gatherings, super casual to have these body image conversations um, and open up the conversation more. And we had a big pool party last year in August. It was super fun. And in about October, I was like, Steph, I think we had to make this into a podcast, you know, and take this conversation global. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so we launched it in February and it's been so much fun. I love it so, so much. And we get to have these conversations around body image and relationship to food and exercise on the regular and really with the the mission of, of just spreading this message as far and wide as we can. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. Isn't podcasting just the best? It's the most fun thing. So fun. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, we've come to the question now, Julie. Yes. Uh, what does being fit mean to you? 
I love this question. <laughs> Being fit to me means I'm, I'm fit to show up and live my life as fully and as big as I possibly can, most authentically aligned like version of myself. I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you, the work that you're doing, all the good stuff. Where can people follow you? Where's the podcast? They want to learn more, hear more from you. Yes. I mean, my website has everything, julieolamacher.com. My Instagram is where I prefer to hang out at julie.olamacher. Um, the Babes Mint Pod, you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. On Instagram, we're at the Babes Mint Pod. Amazing. Appreciate you so much. Listeners, thank you as always for listening. Follow me at Chrissy Grody, the podcast at What the Fit Podcast. Make sure you're tagging your What the Fit walks. Hopefully we're done with all that nasty weather. Get out there, walk, take a picture of it. Spread the word of What the Fit. Thank you.